Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, for you and for the forgiveness of your sins. God fills us with his love, and it overflows in an abundant way as the people of God that he has called us to be. From Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska, this is Proclaiming the One with Pastors Clint Poppy and Adam Moline. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Each week we come together, we look at the upcoming readings for our worship service. We're in the season of Easter. We're about done with the season of Easter. Today we're going to be looking at the readings for the seventh Sunday of Easter. And we rejoice with all of the people of God at Good Shepherd in Lincoln. We have resumed corporate worship, albeit on a... uh, little bit limited way. Pre-registration is required so we don't have too many people and those kind of things. Check out our uh, church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org for all of the details. But we are gathering together as the people of God in this place after a nearly two-month hiatus. And uh, we certainly rejoice when uh, way back on May 10th, When uh, I turned around and I said, Christ is risen, and there were actually people in the congregation, people in the pews to respond, he is risen indeed, hallelujah, amen. Uh, The the shivers up my spine, I will remember that moment, I think, for as long as I live. What uh, What a grand and joyous day and celebration. Pastor, comments on that? Yeah, it almost brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it, to uh, see the body of Christ gathered together again as the body of Christ and to uh, partake in that. What a great gift. Sometimes you don't realize what you have until you don't have it. And I think that's been the case for a lot of people with regard to the fellowship of the church uh, coming together corporately to hear God's word and receive God's gifts. We've done a lot over the radio, the internet, YouTube. Uh, We've We've tried to send email announcements to our members every day. Uh, we've, we've tried really hard to stay in contact and to keep in touch, but there is nothing that truly replaces the gathering together of the saints, the Acts chapter 2, the picture of the uh, Christian church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of the bread, to the fellowship, and to the prayers. And uh, what, a, uh, what a great rejoicing and kind of a great segue into our readings for today. The last three Sundays in our Easter season, uh, and especially today, the seventh Sunday of Easter, are in a sense pre-Pentecost readings as they are preparing us for the celebration of Pentecost, the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and to get us going, we begin with our gospel reading, John fifteen twenty six to sixteen four. Vicar, take it away. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. 
But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay, we have here Jesus preparing us for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when the helper comes. Pastor, uh, thoughts about that name as a divine name for God the Holy Spirit, the helper. Well, I think it's a, a good name for us to have for the Holy Spirit, but I don't think we can take it in the way that oftentimes we want to in, in terms of, you know, my four-year-old helps me to do something, and I'm mostly doing it, but they help a little bit, you know. Uh, they grab the broom or the dustpan or something like that. Um, it's rather the Holy Spirit is the thing that is bringing us into the faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who is calling, gathering, enlightening, and sanctifying us. Um, and the word there in the Greek is paraclete. Uh, you've probably heard that before. It means helper, but it also means advocate. And I think maybe advocate is a better understanding of the word in the sense that the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf, uh, both to us and also to God in our favor, advocating for us. And I think that's a better way than just helping. Um, we have that in our liturgy. We have, we have an, an advocate, advocate with yes. the Father. Uh, and uh, so so when I hear that word advocate, I think of courtroom. You do. So how does that, so how does that tie in if the Holy Spirit is our helper slash advocate and we have a courtroom imagery here, what are we to be thinking of with regard to this advocate? Well, I think the next little bit of the sentence is helpful in understanding that, where it says, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. The thing he's advocating for is Jesus. And so when we're talking about our sin, the Holy Spirit brings Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world and covers sin with his blood. When we are uh, standing before God on the last day, the Holy Spirit brings Jesus that we're clothed in his righteousness that covers all of our sins so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see sinful people. He sees forgiving Jesus. And, and so in that way, the Holy Spirit is always advocating for Jesus and to Jesus for us in our, in our sinful life. Uh, in the fifth Sunday of Easter, so two weeks prior to these readings, uh, Jesus also teaches us about the Holy Spirit and refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Truth. Pastor, you preached on that uh, gospel reading and emphasized how the Spirit is the Spirit of Truth. How is that important for us, for those who may not have heard that sermon, how is that important for us to have a spirit of truth in these uncertain days when we don't really know what to believe about so many different things? I think even uh, beyond even not knowing what to believe in the face of challenging times, our philosophy um, throughout the ages, and especially in our world today, the way we think is that there is no absolute truth. There is no reality. Your truth can be different than my truth that can be different from the truth of someone living overseas. And in the face of this, where we can't actually discover any truth by our own efforts or merits, we have a promise from God that the Holy Spirit is the truth. And I think this is great because if the Holy Spirit is advocating about Jesus, then we know Jesus is the truth, and he's the answer to all the problems. When you think about it, ultimately, he is, right? Um, I mean, if your problem is, 
what t-shirt are you going to wear today? You think, well, how does Jesus answer that? Well, that's not really a big problem, right? Whatever t-shirt you wear, you're going to be fine. But someday you're going to die. What's the solution to that? That's Jesus. Um, Someday your loved ones are going to die. The solution to that is Jesus, who brings us through the valley of the shadow of death and into the promise of eternal life. And so in that way, the spirit of truth is the one who proclaims Jesus. Uh, And that's what we're hearing here from our Lord Jesus Christ, in fact. Um, I think it's worth pointing out here, too, and maybe I'm jumping ahead. The way he does it is by speaking. Uh, The Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word. And so when God's Word is preached and taught in its truth and purity, it brings Jesus. And so that's why it's so important to have the preaching of the Word and to receive God's Word regularly and um, to spend time with God's Word because the Holy Spirit is attached to that Word and works faith in that Word. The uh, Jesus says the spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus also says of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is this a contradiction that the spirit is the spirit of truth and Jesus is the truth? Or is there something bigger here that Jesus is teaching us? It's not a contradiction. Uh, it, if we understand the Trinity as best as humanly possible, uh, we understand that reality that the uh, the God that is real exists as one God in three persons, three persons in one God, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. And that's the reality then when Jesus, as God, talks, he can also speak in the same way that the Holy Spirit God talks, and they can say the same things, and uh, it gets a little bit confusing if we're trying to be, um, I don't know if the right word is logical or to map it all out, but from God's perspective, everything is clear and makes sense. The uh, language here <clears throat> that Jesus speaks in John fifteen twenty six, 26, uh, uh, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you, from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. This sounds an awful lot like the Nicene Creed that we confess on a regular basis in church. Uh, The Holy Spirit, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Why is that an important thing for us to remember as Christians, as Trinitarian Christians, to confess that the Holy Spirit proceeds from both the Father and the Son? Well, first off, it's important for us to confess it because that's what Scripture teaches, as we just see here. Amen. Uh, additionally, uh, there are uh, Christians who deny this and say that the Holy Spirit proceeds only from the Father, and this is usually the Orthodox Christians of different varieties. Um, and the issue that we have there, then, is the thing that holds the Trinity together is God the Father. And in that sense, then, God the Father is slightly more important or above God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, and so it confuses the oneness of the Trinity. Instead, it's held together by the, I don't know the right word, the uh, premiership of God the Father, the... uh, he's he's better than the other two in a way, and that changes who Jesus and the Holy Spirit are as well. Yeah, it's uh, some people, some of our hearers may have heard about the filioque controversy, yep. uh, and uh, what it does is it denies the uh, 
penetration of the three persons of the Trinity, one God and three persons, three persons in one God. One is not above the other. Uh, the things that we confess, not only in the Nicene Creed, but also in the Apostles' Creed. Pastor, Christians generally confess the Nicene Creed before they receive the Lord's Supper. That is generally when that creed is confessed in the divine service. What's the connection between the confession in the Nicene Creed and a proper understanding and confession in the Lord's Supper? Well, um, I guess what you could say is that the uh, understanding of who the Trinity is and how Jesus fits into that affects our understanding of what we're coming into contact with in the Lord's Supper when we eat the body of Christ and drink the blood of Christ. It is God that we are partaking in. It is the uh, non-created, um, omniscient, omnipotent um, God that is coming down to us, forgiving our sins, and partaking uh, in our fleshly world, if you will. That's who we're eating, and so we can then also take the promises that come with that to the bank as promises from the God who is present. When uh, when we come back from our break, we're going to uh, dig a little bit deeper into our text. The Holy Spirit bears witness to Christ, and as people who are redeemed by the blood of Christ, we in turn bear witness to Christ. And bearing witness like that has with it some blessings and some consequences. Don't change that dial. This is Proclaiming the One. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for our worship celebration, and today we are looking at these readings, Easter 7, a pre-Pentecost uh, Sunday as we are getting ready for the celebration of the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit next week. Our gospel reading, John 15, 26 through 16, 4, the uh, first couple of verses talk about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus says, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Our first segment, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit is connected to the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, the confession that we make in the Nicene Creed and also in the Athanasian Creed with regard to the Holy Spirit. And now we take a little bit of a shift because in verse 27, Jesus says, and you also... Now, he's speaking in the upper room discourse. He's speaking to the apostles, and by extension, he's speaking to all Christians. And you also will bear witness 
because you have been with me from the beginning. Pastor, what does it mean that the Spirit bears witness about Jesus, and now Jesus is telling the apostles that they will bear witness about Jesus? Well, uh, it goes back to our word paraclete, which in your English is helper, but we talked about maybe could be better as uh, advocate. Um, the word in the Greek that's used here for bearing witness is marturia, a martureo, uh, and this is the, the word that's kind of a legal term, again, uh, to testify, to talk about, to give witness to something. And that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in the Word and in the sacraments. The Holy Spirit testifies or points people to Jesus Christ. He's kind of like a road sign along the interstate that says, you know, exit uh, 400 uh, and then tells you what's down the road, McDonald's, gas station and whatnot. Look that way. That's where those things are. The Holy Spirit does this always about Jesus. Look to Jesus. Test, uh, hear Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Uh, the Holy Spirit is always, always, always pointing people to Jesus. And Jesus then is telling his disciples that they are going to go out and they're going to do the same thing. They're going to preach the word about Jesus. They're going to administer the sacraments which bring Jesus. They're going to uh, always, always, always tell people about Jesus. And I think it's great then, too, the word martureo here, because it also, uh, for us today, bears with it what it came to mean to testify to Jesus even to the point of death, as we promised in our confirmation vows even and that's what the disciples end up doing. They continue to tell people about Jesus until finally government authorities and those who hated the gospel uh, put them to death for talking about Jesus. And it seems like that's not a very serious crime, and yet uh, 11 of the 12 apostles are killed for preaching Jesus. And um, the last one is exiled to Patmos after a failed killing attempt on his life. And so all these things are being brought together by Jesus here as he says, you're going to testify about me, and in a way he's also telling them you're going to die in your testimony about me. So it's no coincidence then that the Greek word here for witness has come to mean someone who is put to death for their confession of their faith. That's not a coincidence. No, and I, I don't know that that's how the word was only used back then, but for us as Christians today, we understand that clearly, and I think Jesus, in what he's about to say, is setting the stage for that reality of the Christian church, uh, which is forthcoming after this time. In verse uh, 16, oh, wait a minute here. No, in chapter 16, verse 1, excuse me, Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, Vicar, in the context of this upper room discourse, Jesus speaking to his disciples, what does he mean, I have said all these things to you to keep you, disciples, from falling away? Well, this goes back what he previously said, that either, even though he's going to depart from their eyes, even though they, they think that he's going away, he, that they're going to have help. Um, and having a helper, they'll be able to give that a more honorable testimony in telling the truth. So he's speaking here. He's speaking here to um, uh, the disciples in the upper room. 
But, Pastor, it appears to me that these words can also be applied to Christians today. Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit and this witness, this testimony, to keep Christians from falling from the faith. Is that what he's implying here as well? I think by extension we can definitely uh, say that, and I think that's the great thing about the church is that um, it's not any different for us as it was for those in the beginning. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and that's exactly what we see happening. Um, The Word goes forth. People are brought into the faith. The world hates that. The world persecutes them and puts them down for being Christians in the faith. And even the way Jesus says it, I have said these things, that's the perfect tense, a past action with present abiding results that continue on for always, and that's the reality. Jesus speaks his word that comforts us and always will, and it keeps us from falling away from the faith. His word, his word, his word. Jesus then uh, talks about the consequences of bearing witness with regard to Jesus. If you are truly my disciples, if you bear witness to me as the one and only Savior from the world, verse 2, they will put you out of synagogues, indeed uh, out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Pastor, who is the they? They will do these things to you. Who is Jesus talking about, and who is Jesus giving us a warning to look out for? Well, in the immediate context, um, he's talking about synagogues, right? Uh, The people who are the religious leaders in that area. Uh, But we can't limit it to just that. The truth is, is that all people who are against the preaching of the gospel and the administration of the sacraments fall into this category. Uh, so immediately it's talking about religious leaders are going to push you out, uh, but generally speaking it's talking about anyone who's a uh, against God's word. So we are talking about all enemies of the gospel, the devil, the world, and even our own sinful flesh. We are told that if you confess me, there will be consequences. These things will happen. But Jesus doesn't leave them there. Jesus doesn't just say, these are the consequences, so pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He says, but I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So is Jesus talking about some kind of a sentimental journey and uh, remember the good times when you're, when you're being kicked out of the synagogues and being persecuted? Uh, what is the significance of this remembering that Jesus is talking about? Well, it makes me think of a, a time in Acts, and I'd have to look up the exact chapter and verse, uh, but the disciples, uh, the apostles at that point, get arrested and they're beaten for preaching the gospel. And as they're released from their prison, uh, having suffered and been beaten for preaching the gospel, they rejoice and they say, isn't it great that we are counted as worthy to suffer such a way for the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the reason that they can feel that way is they go back and they say, look what Jesus told us. He said we were going to be thrown out of the synagogue. He said we're going to be persecuted. He said we're going to be beaten and arrested and mocked. And that's what's happening. And for them, it's another proof that the words of Jesus are true. And they rejoice in those words then and celebrate them as God's own word. 
Vicar, the, uh, Jesus says that the, the Holy Spirit is the helper, the advocate. And here at the end of our text, Jesus is talking about remembering. How does the Holy Spirit fit into this whole aspect of remembering? Does, uh, does the Holy Spirit take us to some like speed reader course or to give us vitamins to enhance our memory? How, how are these two connected? Well, the Holy Spirit does not just come to us in a wisp or outside when we're fishing or outside when we're taking a walk in some sort of mystery. It's right there in solid print in the Word of God. The, the, the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Moline before, comes attached in the Word of God, and that's how we can remember. It makes it easy, easy for us to remember. I also can't help but thinking about when Jesus says, in remembrance of me, same word. So the remembering is not because of my reason or my strength or my great intellectual power. This is one of the works of the helper, the advocate, to bring to mind these things that Christ has taught us. Pastor, the last thing I want to talk about with regard to our text, it's, uh, Jesus says, but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. What is Jesus talking about when he's talking about their hour? Well, the way we would maybe talk about it in our modern parlance would be um, the hour of persecution of the church, which we would not say just as an hour-long event, but rather we would talk about it as the age of the church. And the book of Revelation, it talks about from the time of the ascension all the way until the time of the second coming, uh, there will be persecution in various forms. There'll be wars and rumors and wars, etc. And so it's talking about that and these enemies of Christ and his church, specifically sin, death, and the power of the devil. Um, that's the hour, the the people, the there that uh, Jesus is talking about, and we're in the midst of it. And so as we're in the midst of it, we look back to Christ's word and remember the promises that he's made. And again, the only way that that does us any good is that the Holy Spirit works in that word to call, sustain, guide us into the way of truth so that we are actually Christians. And it's kind of a neat thing that it brings it all back full circle driving us back again to Christ's word. Absolutely. Jesus, a little bit later in John, says this is their hour, the hour of the power of darkness. But uh, Jesus is the light of the world that no darkness can overcome. And even though Jesus is put to death and stone cold dead buried in a tomb, death does not have the last word, but life does. Jesus rises victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Forgiveness, life, and salvation are his, and he gives them out. He pours them out to us at the baptismal font, wherever the Holy Spirit is at work, through the proclamation of his word, there Jesus is, loving, caring, nurturing, and forgiving, even to the point where he gives us a new heart. And when we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at our Old Testament reading for the seventh Sunday of Easter, Ezekiel 36. And those words might be pretty familiar because of the offertory that we sing in Divine Service 3. We'll take a short break. Don't change that dial.
LP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. in me a clean heart, a new heart, O Lord. Welcome back. This is Proclaiming the One. We're taking a look at the readings for the seventh Sunday of Easter. The Old Testament reading for Easter 7 is from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 22 through 28. Vicar, take it away. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my just decrees. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. We have that covenant language here at the end of our text, where the prophet Ezekiel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Uh, we have a problem, though, with the people of God because um, they are profaning the name of God. We have a lot of this talk about the holiness of God's name, profaning the name of God, uh, what God's name is before the nations. Uh, Pastor, What's the big deal with the name of God? Why, why is this such an important emphasis here in our text? Well, uh, it's an important emphasis because it's the thing that gives us access to him. It's the thing that our worship is done uh, according to. It uh, brings us his word. It is the thing that marks us as his possession. His name is a very, very important thing, and uh, even... You know, if we want to get really literal here, the name of Jesus means literally the Lord saves. And uh, uh, Jesus, or God here, is teaching us to look out for things like that because this whole text is really ultimately about Jesus and what Christ is going to accomplish for us. And so, you know, I, I'd encourage our listeners to look in their small catechism to the first petition of the Lord's Prayer and to the uh, second commandments and their meanings and talk about uh, what the name of the Lord is with their family and uh, according to the catechism. You, you, uh, you stole my thunder there. I was going to ask you, how does, how does this uh, relate to Jesus teaching us in the Lord's Prayer 
when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. And Luther teaches us that God's name is holy in and among itself, but we pray that it would be holy among us also. Pastor, how is God's name made holy among us? And I don't need just <clears throat> Luther's explanation here, but what does this mean for us today? Well, um, I mean, the explanation in the catechism is really key here, but it's not just here in the Lord's Prayer. Like I said, it's also in the Second Commandment as well, and I think the large catechism on the Second Commandment does a really good job of talking about this because God's name being kept holy means God's word preached in its truth and in its purity. And Luther says we violate the second commandment and also pray the Lord's prayer wrongly when we teach false doctrine uh, according to God's name. So it would be something like saying, um, you know, it's okay to have women pastors. It's okay to sleep outside of uh, marriage with someone. Uh, It's okay to steal cars if you're hungry. When we're doing that, we are speaking outside of God's word. And if we do that in the name of God, then we are defiling God's name and teaching false doctrine according to God's name. And that's one of the things that God despises uh, above many, many other things. And so when when Ezekiel says that you've been doing this, you've been profaning the name of God, it's not only getting the name of God mixed up or hitting your thumb with a hammer and saying, gosh darn it. Yes, it's not only that, but it is everything that encompasses the name of God, including and uh, maybe even most importantly, the preaching and teaching of false doctrine, where we think we have better words than the Lord God himself. We're justifying ourselves and ignoring God and his word. It, uh, it goes on here. It says, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. How is the holiness of God uh, vindicated before the whole world? I think the key thing here is through you and a proper understanding of what the nation of Israel is. They are a people who are called out of all the people of the world for a very specific purpose, Uh, explicit, in fact. God teaches it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, uh, and continues it with David and and, uh, all of his household as well. And the purpose of the nation of Israel is to be set apart so that a Savior can be born into that house, into that family, into that nation that will rescue all people from all sin. This is what's been promised since Genesis chapter 3, throughout all the book of Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, uh, you know, you can keep going. This is the silver thread that goes throughout all the pages of Scripture, especially the Old Testament, the promise of a Savior. And so when God says, through you I will vindicate my holiness, he's talking about Jesus going to the cross, suffering, bleeding, and dying to forgive all sin, so that all people who have faith in Christ may be saved from that sin and granted eternal life in his kingdom. So God is vindicated through the death and resurrection of his son, Israel reduced to one, where all sin for all people for all time is thrust on Jesus. He dies, he rises from the dead, and now as we're getting ready for Pentecost, we are told that God sends the Holy Spirit, the helper, the paraclete, the advocate who comes and testifies 
to this completed work of Jesus. Ezekiel then emphasizes, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Vicar, I don't know. That sounds an awful lot like holy baptism to me. Is that what's is that what we're talking about here? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And cleanliness, cleanliness, can be equated here with holiness. Um, you are not holy. You are full of sin, and you need cleaning. You need to be made holy. It's not anything at all that we can do ourselves. So it takes the Lord God uh, in His Word added to water to make us without sin and clean again. And as Luther teaches us in the Catechism, it's not just the washing of water on the outside that removes the dirt and the stain, but there's something more that goes on in this precious gift. In verse 25, God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Pastor, is this God speaking metaphorically? Is there really something going on when we are converted, when God the Holy Spirit brings us to faith? Are we given a new heart and a new spirit, or is this sort of symbolic talk that God is using here? Um, it's it's not symbolic talk. It is a reality. Now, it's not reality in the sense that he's going to cut us open and rip our heart out, beating into his hands, and then shove a new one in there or something like that, like you'd see in a horror movie. It's, it's something that he does, um, spiritually speaking. And so um, when he creates faith in us, when we eat his body and drink his blood for forgiveness of sins, the heart that has been hardened by sin, just as Pharaoh's heart was hardened by sin, is made alive again. It is given life, uh, not just temporal life, but eternal life. And that's the thing that, that God is talking about here. Lutherans sometimes have a difficulty uh responding to some of our more evangelical, non-denominational friends, brothers, and sisters in Christ when we're talking about uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And someone might ask you, are you Spirit-filled? Or when did you receive the Holy Spirit? Looking for some uh, dramatic spiritual conversion kind of event. Here God says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Earlier he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Pastor, how should Christians and Uh, Lutheran Christians especially, I suppose, how should we understand this gift of the Holy Spirit? Is this something that I have to decide? Is this something that I work or it's an act of obedience? Help me understand this. I think to understand that, we have to go back to the gospel lesson we talked about earlier, as well as to the rest of the Holy Scriptures, where we see that the Holy Spirit is always, always, always attached to God's Word. And so it's not that um, 
we invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts or we accept him as our personal Lord and Savior or decide to follow Jesus or any of that baloney. Rather, God's word is preached into our ears and the Holy Spirit is attached to that word and he creates and sustains faith within us. Uh, he does the same through through the uh gift of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper through the proclamation of the absolution into our ears. And so in these ways, God does the work for our salvation. He's the one who accomplishes, uh, as we say in the Catechism, to quote it again, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the entire Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. And that's the absolute truth uh, that Scripture teaches as well. These words here from Ezekiel 36 really do a beautiful job of teaching us that God gives us the Spirit as he brings us to faith. The Holy Spirit indwells in us, and one of the ways that God brings us to faith is in the gift of holy baptism. Lutherans, all Christians for that matter, can say with confidence, I am baptized, and the Holy Spirit dwells and lives within me, pointing me to the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's why we can sing with such great joy, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew my your spirit within me. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to see what this means that we have a new spirit as we live out our life in Christ. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We've served the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd like to invite you to join us for worship Sunday morning at 8 and 1030, every Wednesday evening year-round at 630. We are worshiping once again at Good Shepherd. Uh, Pre-registration is required, so we don't uh, have too many people in our sanctuary at one time. Go to our church website, goodshepherdlincoln.org, for all the details on that. Every worship service we have is broadcast right here on KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. You can, uh, if you're outside of our listening area, you can check us out on our radio website or you can download the app, thecross957.org. And also, we are now on YouTube. You can search for Good Shepherd Lutheran Church Media. And we'll continue to be on YouTube as long as all of this pandemic crisis is around us and some people are not able to or do not feel safe in returning to worship. We, uh, in our last segment, we looked at uh, Ezekiel 36, God giving us a new spirit. One verse that we didn't get to uh, 
It says uh, in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us moves us to a life of holiness. And that's really what our epistle reading is talking about. We go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 14. Vicar, take it away. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Okay, we've got a lot in this text here. And uh, right off the bat, Pastor, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Peter, says the end of all things is at hand. Is this some kind of uh, end-of-the-world hysteria where the church is trying to scare people into being good people or scaring people into believing the gospel? What's the point of this right here? Uh, it's not a, you know, intimidation factor or fear factor where he's trying to manipulate people. Um, he's He knows the truth that people are made Christian by God's word, preaching his truth and purity, and so that's what he's doing. He's preaching God's word. That's the truth. The end of all things is at hand. Uh, and you say, well, it's been 2,000 years and the end hasn't come. Well, no, but it's coming soon and very soon, and no one knows the day or the hour, uh, but it's coming. And that's what Christ has promised, and that's what we are anxiously awaiting as Christians. It could come for us as we leave this world, you know, um, the uh, age of man is but 70 or 80 years if by reason of strength. Uh, it could come that Christ returns, you know, this afternoon uh, with clouds and glory and trumpet. Uh, either way, uh, the end is at hand. It's coming quickly, and so we need to be ready for that when the time comes. Vicar, what does it mean to be self-controlled and sober-minded? <clears throat> Yeah, it's really interesting, especially this word for sober-minded. Um, it's not a word. It only occurs six times in the New Testament in the Greek. And it literally does mean to abstain from wine on one hand, but it also means fig is a matter of a figure of speech to be discreet. So this is not to, uh, this is to be temperate, to be modest, uh, to be calm and collected in spirit. We can be drunk on a lot of things, uh, not only on alcoholic beverages. We can be drunk with 
politics. We can be drunk with sports. We can be drunk with our passions and lusts. And this uh, being self-controlled and sober-minded with regard to everything, and I think you said it very well, to be temperate, to be modest, uh, moderation in all things. All good gifts come from God, and yet any gift from God can be abused or misused if it's not used in the way that God intends it to be used. Pastor, there's a lot of talk in our world today about love. And here we have, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers over a multitude of sins. If you love the world, you'll wear a mask. If you love the world, you'll stay in your house and you won't go to work. If you love the world, you'll do this or you'll do that. If you love the world, you'll get out of your house and go back to work. If you love the world, you'll take your mask off so we can build herd immunity. This whole love thing is used to justify anything and everything in our world. How is this the absolute opposite of what the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Peter is teaching us right here? Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Well, the love that covers a multitude of sins is the love shown uh, in Jesus Christ. John writes that in one of his epistles. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiatory sacrifice for our sin. And so, uh, above all, that's the love that we need to keep having for one another earnestly, to keep reminding people of Jesus Christ, to keep uh, respecting people in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to uh, show compassion to people as Christ had compassion upon us, to live as a Christian. That That's the very thing that he's talking about here, and that really is what love is. And any time we come up with a definition of love that is not related to Christ, um, we're probably not speaking according to the name of God, to use what we talked about in the last uh, segment. We're speaking false doctrine, and this this gets done all the time in all sorts of ways. For example, you know, God is loving, so, you know, he's going to let me sleep with um, this person outside of marriage uh, because he, he loves me and no matter what I do. And that's not really the truth. Uh, that's not really the way we use God's love. God's love is shown as Christ dies on the cross, and that covers all sin and sets us free from it so that we don't have to give in to our baser desires. That is that is very well said, and I want to piggyback on what you said with one little bit of, uh, one more tidbit here. It says, love covers over a multitude of sins. You said that there is no such thing as a love apart from an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. What about a person who would say, that love means there is no such thing as sin and that I am free to live my life without the bounds and the boundaries of sin when here love covers over a multitude of sins. That seems to be a stark contrast with the way the world thinks about love. Yeah, it definitely is. If, um, if you preach 
that way and you say there is no such thing as sin, then you have no reason for an atoning propitiatory sacrifice and you have no reason for God to love us um, and um, to be reconciled to him. And so it is, again, like I said, it's false doctrine, 100%. Um, the truth that we ought to confess, and, and confess means to say the same thing that God says, the truth that we ought to confess is that we are sinful people uh, and that all of us are equally sinful in God's eyes because we've all violated God's law and that God in his love has killed his son Jesus Christ in our place for sin so that we can be reconciled to God in Christ. And if you eliminate even a small part of that equation, then you've uh, destroyed the entirety of the truth of the gospel. When you talk like you do, you just did. When Christians confess the true nature of love, that is the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus for real sins that real people have committed. When you use that definition of love, you will be despised by the world and you will endure suffering. Verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Suffering for the sake of love, is that really what the Holy Spirit through Peter is teaching us here? Yes. <laughs> I mean, then that's a simple answer, right? Think about it with your spouse, right? You um, love your spouse, and so you're willing to suffer with their little foibles or difficulties or challenges that they have. So my wife suffers every day um, in uh, putting up with me and uh, doing things for me out of her love. For example, you know, uh, turning my socks right side out after the laundry. I knew you were going to go to the socks. That's yep. a biggie for you. Or, um, you know, we love our children, so... Oftentimes, our children act in a way that if, if another person acted that way, we'd probably stay away from them. But they're our children, and so we love them. We seek in a way to teach them the right behavior that they ought to do. Uh, that's really the way that love is, is it is sacrificing yourself to show compassion and care to another. And that's exactly what Christ did. Love is a sacrifice. It is manifest on Calvary's cross, and as God gives us the forgiveness, life, and salvation. The Spirit dwells in us, the Spirit of truth, teaching us, bringing to mind everything that Christ has said, and truly giving us a new heart and a new will and a new desire to actually hear the Word of God and keep it. Don't be surprised if you suffer when you confess Christ and keep His Word. Vicar, would you bring things to a close and pray for us the collect of the day for the seventh Sunday of Easter? Let us pray. O King of glory, Lord of hosts, uplifted in triumph far above all heavens, leave us not without consolation, but send us the spirit of truth whom you promised from the Father. For you live and reign with him and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. 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 For Pastor Moline and Vicar Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. Sunday morning when you get up, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastors, and go to church. Thanks be to God. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.